Hey, I'm Michael Jonathan Smith, one of the writers on Cobra Kai, and you're listening to Cobra Kai Companion. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. And I am Brianna. And today we have a special interview joining us live on our YouTube channel, Michael Jonathan Smith. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Cue the applause. Cue the applause. Yeah. (laughs) Applause all around. Uh, For those that uh, don't know, you wrote a teleplay for uh, 108 Molting and 209 Pulpo. Um, so we'll definitely get into all of that stuff, but obviously with our interviews, we uh, want to try to learn more um, about the, the the person. So you are, are a writer on Cobra Kai. Um, why don't you tell us uh, maybe your, your history with the, the Karate Kid and, and why it is you decided to uh, get into writing? Sure. Uh, I mean, I... I moved... I, so I was, I was born on the East Coast, and I actually moved from Boston to... Southern California, Irvine, when I was like six, uh, or I was six. So I actually lived the experience of moving across the country. And when I was in California, my parents introduced me to the Karate Kid and just I immediately fell in love with it. Just like, I just totally related to being a transplant from, you know, the other coast and like I'm dealing with, with all the, you know, all the condolences that come with that, you know, people commenting on music choice or clothing choice and all that stuff. And I was bullied a little bit growing up. I now became a TV writer, so clearly I was bullied at some point in my life. So just the idea of moving around a lot, just it just clicked with me. And just, I mean, the magic of that scene being, you know, of him learning karate. Like, there's just so much magic in that movie um, that I just absolutely loved it. Um, and I got into writing just complete. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I was in high school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And... I, this is going to sound really lame, but I saw that movie Memento at like a really tiny art theater. And the second I watched it, I walked out and I was like, I want to make movies. Uh, wow. And I, I just was so thrown by how crazy creative it was. And you could tell stories like this. And it was just wild. So I, I immediately started doing that and started writing plays and at school and, and making – I did a like, public access TV show with a friend of mine. Shout out to Brian Carroll. Uh in high school and and we just kind of went from there um and i realized quickly that like writing kind of did everything i wanted to do like i i I didn't have the equipment to make a lot of stuff so but if i could write stuff i didn't have to worry about the equipment so i got just really into the writing aspect of it um and and yeah and and now i'm out now i'm out here is it amazing like uh the capability that uh that, that people have nowadays just with their phone yeah I mean, we were, we were bar when we made that public access TV show, we were like borrowing cameras and using crappy iMovie to edit. Like we were, we had bare minimum stuff. And then we had to put it on a VHS, which was extremely Like it was yes. just, it's just so much easier now. Uh, but now it's just sort of like, oh, like I have a kid now and, and the idea of making something small like that is just so overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I know, I think uh, I'm a couple years older than you, but. Uh, iMovie still wasn't even a thing for me at, at that point. Sure. I, I don't even know when iMovie came out, but I also tried dabbling in s- student film and projects in high school, 
I guess writing was never really a thing I thought about, but I, I thought about acting and directing for sure throughout high school. Well, it's funny. I actually got into it thinking I wanted to be a director. Like I went to film school up in Syracuse and I was like, I want to direct these movies and saying like, oh, they're going to pluck me out of film school because I made an amazing indie film. And I just started really like I came out to L.A. and I knew I wanted to do TV and I I was tired of like making webs i was tired of, of tired of trying to like make a short film so i started doing a web comic by myself and, and treated that like a tv show and i fell so in love with writing the web comic that i just like doubled down on writing for television and and yeah just focused focused on that do you have any um like formal training any college or i mean how how does one get started in being a scriptwriter? It's, it's so, so I did, I did go to school for film and did take film classes and, oh, I see Gianni said hi in the chat. Hi Gianni. <laughs> uh, so I, I went to school for film and coming out of film school, um, I, I was, I'm lucky enough that I have a family member who's in the industry who, um, uh, it was a producer for like Desperate Housewives. And it was an interesting tract where I, I was able to get like my first assistant job. And then from that assistant job, I got my first executive assistant job. And from that, I became a writer's assistant for TV shows. Um, I was a writer's assistant on this show, Chosen, on FX. And that was actually my first script credit. And I was a writer's I was an executive assistant for this MTV show called Good Vibes. And I worked as a writer's PA for Atypical on Netflix. So I was doing all this stuff on this track. But I was so tired of writing spec scripts that I hooked up with some friends of mine who had camera equipment to do a web series and through the web series, it let me do more writing. And we, we did a web series that was called mermaids, which is about a guy who moved in with a mermaid. Um, and he wasn't because we were cheap. I was like, he's not a normal mermaid. Who's like human on top, fish on bottom. He's human on the outside and fish on the inside. So he literally breathes by drinking water and spitting out of his mouth. So we were just like super cheap. And through these web series, I did another web series called the common cult, which is about like six friends who are in a Lovecraftian horror cult trying to summon an old god into our plane of existence. And that web series w was seen by my manager. And he hooked, he immediately wanted to work with me and, and my friends. And from there, we started working on scripts. And like, so, so what I'm trying to say is the two tracks were like completely different, where I got these jobs and I learned from those jobs, but I was doing all this writing on the side and like the writing on the side was what got me my first gig. So it was like a very different sort of, it's very weird. Every, everyone has such a different path that like, even if you study for film, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a job or vice versa. Like if, if anybody is interested in writing for TV, the best, best, best advice I can give you is to just do it. Just write every day because the only thing you're going to do is get better at it. Like the one benefit I found at film school was that I just did a lot of bad writing early so it just kind of got all that out of the way. <laughs> out of your that system. Makes sense? Yeah, it got out of my system. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm still like, I wrote a lot of bad stuff after school too. And to this day, <laughs> I will still write bad things. Like I was looking through old ideas and I saw one that just said, like, a guy joins a, a coven of witches and it's called Bud in the Coven. And I'm like, this is a terrible, <laughs> like, this is just a joke. So, so, so like... But, but I feel like I learned a lot from just doing it over and over again. It's like a nail, right? You keep hammering that one nail, eventually the nail will go through the woods. So, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how I got to, how I got to do this. 
you mentioned the show Chosen. Yes. I did catch a couple of episodes last night. Awesome. Um, because, you know, the, the way it's spelled is very particular. Uh, again, most that know me know I'm a big fan of the character of Chosen and my love for Yuji Okamoto. Um, but uh, Chosen, this the, the character from that show, it's uh, Chosen with an Ozen. And um, yeah. there's, there's a young lady that he meets that's, uh, was it her name, Bobby? Bobby with an I? Yes, Bobby with an I. Yeah, yeah. So there's some similarities to um, Karate Kid there. And I know that you wrote two of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, completely. I'm impressed that you put that together because I don't even think we were thinking of that when that happened. I think Bobby with an I. So uh, the creator, um, who is a good friend of mine, uh, Grant DeKerney, and he's one of the funniest dudes I've ever met. And he just like, he is just the voice of that character. And I think that pitch was probably his, actually. Um, nice. But yeah, yeah, that show was super fun to work on. It was just like a rad show. And, and the showrunner with Grant was this guy, Tom Brady, who wrote on like The Simpsons and wrote like some of my all-time favorite Simpsons bits. So just like working on those shows was just a dream. I I really enjoyed the two episodes that I watched. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, and for those that want to check it out, there's some episodes on YouTube. That, that's how I was able to watch it. And I kind of like the, uh, the little bit that I saw. I like the character of Ricky. Yeah, um, he was super funny. And he, he kind of looks like me a little bit, except for like we're different nationalities. Sure, but, sure. I can see you know, that. You got the, the mustache to go to see. Well, it's also, I can see a little bit, but also it's funny because like Chosen and Cobra Kai were like my first two writing gigs, like at being, yeah. you know, working as a writer and. Both of them had um, the same. What's what's? Why am I blanking on that actor's name? Um, who plays uh, Johnny's dad? Uh, Ed Asner. Uh, Ed yeah. Asner. Thank you. I don't know why I blanked on Ed Asner. Ed Asner, total legend. In both of the, my episodes, he's in Molting and also in my episode of, of Chosen. So just absolutely like stars aligned. Ed Asner is good luck charm. Oh wow, we've been we've been fighting that with this uh, fandom, haven't we, Brianna? Just like the stars aligning. Uh, a for... lot of things, like people that you know, like talking to to random people about random things, completely unrelated, and they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I work on blah blah blah," and then like trace it back to where they're friends with everyone that like everyone, like every, every everyone I've talked to is like related to Cobra Kai somehow, and it's it, like completely by accident. You know, um, it, I, I guess it's just spreading everywhere. Um, it's good vibes, man. That movie's good vibes. Exponential growth, <laughs> we'll, we'll say. Um, looking uh, a little bit on the past, but looking like toward the future and understanding that we can't get into anything season three or beyond. So no one in the chat even asked. Um, have you done any virtual writers rooms since March? And how are you finding that experience? I've, I've done a little, I've done a few like general meetings and, and did a, did, did a mini room and you know, it, it, it takes some getting used to for sure. Like I know Joe, Joe and Luan said that like the Miro board, which is essentially our digital cards. So, I, so my kind of role in the room has become handling a lot of those cards, um, organizing like in season two, I did a little bit of it in season one, but in season two, the guys brought me in a little early it just kind of unloaded all of their ideas for season two. And like, I just started putting them up on the board. Like, Oh, that could work here. That could work in episode five. Or, Oh, let's, if that's going to happen, it should work in episode. This part should be in episode four and starting to organize some of that stuff. So going from physical cards to digital, it's, it's a little daunting because now you have the infinite. 
So now I can just like fill up the board with every little dumb idea we ever say. So it's been it's been a it's been a little bit of a struggle. I just missed the I've I, I missed the vibe of being in a room with some of these people, like or being in a room with any people. Um, uh, it's just so it's like there's nothing quite like being in a room with all these people, just trying to make each other laugh and pitching ideas and bouncing off each other. And and on Zoom, you're just sort of like mis. It's hard to read people's vibe or know when a good time to jump in is. So it's it's definitely not as it's not as as I, I prefer the physical room, but uh, it's, you know, it's better than not being in any sort of room. So. Right. Now, um, uh, I just want to throw this out before we forget, but Brianna and I and Amy, our moderator, we had the, uh, the, the privilege of meeting you yes. down in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah. So you're one of the first people we've ever met. So, um, you know, I can say that, you know, we have been waiting to speak with you like at, at the very least since then. I uh, have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it's so funny. I think when you guys came to visit set, I think I was actually working on a rewrite of something really quick. Like, so I didn't even yes. get a chance to really talk to you guys super long. Oh no, but I, we remember. Yeah, we remember. <laughs> um, I, I remember the conversation because I remember the episode number, and oh, I got so really I, super what excited. What episode number was it? You, you were remember? working on three hundred nine at the time. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was the other one. Okay. It, well, it could have been. It could have been either one or the other because I know that so that, those. Yeah, those, yeah. That's my three hundred nine. Is is one of my episodes next yeah. year. Yeah, so. and I got so excited. Uh, is three hundred four the other one? Yes. Yes. See, okay, Brianna, I kind of misremember it. I thought that he was uh, wrapping or like fixing three hundred four, but we we heard. Because I think Hayden was like, no, it's not a spoiler to know who wrote what. And so we found out who wrote 304 and 309. Oh, I'm glad you said that because I was worried, like, oh, crap, should I not say what episodes <laughs> I'm going to write? Um, no, that's the that's the reason that we were that, that you were able to tell us because he didn't think that it was spoiler. And again, that's the way I remember it. So sorry, Hayden, if, if that's not the way it went down. <laughs> well, no, I don't see yeah. how it could be a spoiler to know who wrote what. We're still just dealing with numbers. It's not like we have yeah. titles. Correct, but what we did learn from Joe and Luan, if uh, either of them are watching, we did find out that the big three seemed to uh, select specific people for specific um, uh, episodes as well. And maybe, Michael, this is uh, something that you can um, uh, kind of expand on that. But also, before we get more into it, not only are you know, did you write the teleplay, your staff writer, story editor, what can you tell us about these different titles and, and the responsibilities that you have? Yeah, so so uh, Cobra Kai was actually the first show I was ever staffed on. Uh, I, so I came in on season one as a staff writer, which is the first, you know, kind of rank that you hit when you come in. The, the other ranks, it's like staff writer, story editor, executive story editor. And then you get into producing, co-producer, supervising producer. So on season three, I'm I'm my my title is supervising producer. So mm. and and uh, and the way that those rank, I mean, it's kind of different in every room. And in some of the rooms, like in more network rooms, and people who have been in the business a long time, the, the people who are the higher up ranks, like when you get to supervising producer, co-EP, stuff like that. They're typically the ones that are running the room. They are the ones who are running the room. And usually as a staff writer, your job is to kind of sit there and take everything in and throw out ideas as it, as it comes and to not step on anyone's shoes, which was a mistake I made my first year. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it, it's sort of like, but what's so great about the room that the big three run is that there's no egos. There's no, and, and I'll just back up a second. In a lot of those rooms that I've, that I've been in, 
the ego can come into play there where it's sort of like if you step on anyone's toes or anything like that, you're kind, it's kind of a big no-no. But what's so great about the room and the, the environment that John and, and Hayden and Josh have like kind of cultivated is the best idea wins. So the, the, even the assistants are encouraged to kind of throw out ideas, to pitch on stuff, pitch jokes, stuff like that. Um, so, so it's been a really awesome room to be a part of, especially when it was my first big, big boy room to, to join. Um, and then the guys were just super supportive and, and just really, really, like the fact that so season one was my first gig and then they brought me back for season two, which was amazing. And I just, it was just season two was just such a fun room to be in. It was just, like there wasn't as I think there was like one person less than there was the year before. Um, we our offices were in the Sony Animation room, so we were at a uh, uh, Sony Animation like um, building. So we were walking past like Spider Verse artwork and stuff like that before the movie came out, and we were like in the offices where the Emoji Movie used to be. So it was like you could mm. feel the ghosts of T.J. Miller walking through these halls and. Uh, and, and so we just had our own space and we just took it over. We had couches for each person. It was awesome. And, and then the, the guys asked me, invited me to come out to set and to be the onset writer that year. And they, ever since they've just been so supportive and it's just been a dream to work on. Honestly. Uh, Amy did verify in the chat two things. First of all, she said that she remembers that you were revising 304. Mm-hmm. So I will concede that I may have jumped the gun. I just remember you saying that you were writing 309, so I got all kinds of super excited. She also said Hayden slammed your door. <laughs> Those doors are heavy. Like, um, they're <laughs> heavy, heavy doors. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, the doors but are But I think that was because, like, you had, like, something sitting on your desk that had a title on it and that kind of yes. stuff. And he definitely was keeping us as far away from that as humanly possible. That, yes. I mean, there was a, we there are, was a lot of that going yes. on. Oh, well, you, well, I got a credit to you guys and the fans that you guys do your homework. I mean, you guys know, like, I, I think like Ralph took, someone took, not Ralph, but someone took a picture of, of our first table read and someone was able to see through the title sheet to the cast list. So, and you're like, there's a character named this. So we're, we've been extremely protective now because what's so great about our show is that there's just so much stuff that can be, we don't want anyone to be spoiled about what's to come. And, and even with characters like crease arriving, like even though people have seen it, it's been out for a few years, like seeing that moment is just so incredible that I know the guys are super protective. And also I have a feeling that I was on deadline. So it was like slamming the door. I was like, okay, okay, get back to work. I, I get to have fun <laughs> and, and show the, show the fans around. Uh, Watch Party um, points I, out that, yes, that was Ralph uh, holding the script because he may or may not. Yeah, we don't remember who was looking through it. Yeah, we have no clue, Watch Party, <laughs> who, you know, looked through the script and flipped it backwards. Watch Party. Uh, yeah, who, and, and he didn't put out a video no, either. Watch, Watch Party. Party. We're going to be uh, – season three – I mean, I know that jo- John and, and Josh and Hayden have posted very few photos of, like, what was like on set for season three. And I, too, am sitting on a ton – like, one of my all-time favorite photos of me and, and Ralph that was taken totally just off the cuff is, like – it's it's such a great photo and it just captures like what I love about working on the show so much, but I can't show it because it spoils a location. So it's uh, the second season three comes out and then a month later I'll show the photo so everyone gets a chance to see it and there's no spoilers, but it's awesome. I know what you mean because uh, I mean you, you know that we were shown around and so there, there might have been 
uh, a hot set or two that we kind of saw. And I might have gotten some photos that Hayden's <laughs> holding until season three airs before he sends them. Yeah, to he me. confiscated so, yeah, I, them. I, he took Peter's pictures with his phone, um, yeah. so he could he could uh, confiscate them until they are no longer spoilery. There's some good. Yeah. I mean, I won't. I I'm, I will not spoil anything, but I will say that like. Season three is a is a special, awesome season. It's like some some of the moments in season three are just moments I'm super proud of. I, I just I can't wait for everybody to see it. It's gonna be it's gonna be worth the wait, which I know has been so tough. That's, for that's, that's what we hear. <laughs> now you kind of alluded to this, but for somebody that is working on the show, uh, you know our, our friend watch party, uh, we have done videos as well. Have you seen anything out there, whether Reddit or YouTubers, podcasts, that have talked about theories and they're just so on the money? Like, what what are your thoughts about hearing things without like that saying out there? what any of them may be? Yes, correct. I, I'll right, say right, right, this: right. some theories have have. You know, it's it's so tough because like, even if something is close, it's always off by enough that when they see it, they're like, "Oh, I was so close." It, it's sort of like the best example I can give is like. When I went to go see the village, I thought the end of the village okay. was going to be one thing, and my friend thought it was another thing. And then when we walked out, we were both half right. That's what I feel like a lot of these theories are, where it's sort of like it's close, but not close enough that it's like, ah, oh, dang it. Um, and I, I think it's awesome. Like, I mean, I'm not bummed if somebody nails it because, you know, then it means that like we're on the right path in terms of like the story that we care about and we think that the fans will enjoy watching. Um, but I have, yeah, I don't think I've seen anything that was like a hundred percent, like, oh no, they guessed it. Um, <laughs> so watch party. Yeah. But I do, I do check out the subreddit a lot, uh, and lurk around there a little bit. And, uh, it's been so fun seeing everybody like throwing out theories and reactions and guessing what's going to come, what's going to come based on what we've said. And yeah, it's very cool. So. Well, I I think um, John confirmed it to me in the message that uh, that's Miguel's father that flips uh, Daniel in the teaser. So. <laughs> yeah, Miguel, Miguel, yeah, Miguel's father, Webster Miyagi, or no, Carl, <laughs> Carl Miyagi. Carl, Carl, Miyagi. Carl, yeah, Carl is what uh, Hayden said his yes. name Carl was. Miyagi, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have to um, start talking about how... Did you get the job specifically yeah. for molting okay. for, you know, cause that was your first one. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so I, so it's funny. So I was, I'll just back up. Cause I think it's kind of an interesting story to show you that like literally anyone's path to writing a TV show is completely different. So I had just finished being a PA on a typical and my daughter was born and I was unemployed uh, I was working part-time for this comedian, Morgan Murphy, and this other uh, comedy writer, Robin Shore, and just just try and get a little bit of money here and there. And while I was working on Atypical, I was working on this pilot. I was just, I, I wanted to write something that I cared about and was like, what is the, cra- I don't care if this ever gets made. I just want to make something that makes me laugh and it's just insane and captures the kind of stuff I like to write. So I wrote a serial killer comedy and uh, my agent <laughs> two words that don't normally I, go together. Yeah, I would I would tell I would honestly tell you more about it, but the truth is is that we're actually still developing it and, and hopefully gonna take it out soon. So I don't wanna like talk about what it's about, but it's a it's a serial killer comedy. But basically I wrote it and my manager was like, I love this. We'll see if we can find someone. Completely randomly, he had a random lunch with someone at Sony. 
um, this this uh, exec, Frank Ochoa, who's awesome. And Frank read it, loved it, shared it with everybody at Sony. They loved it. And before we even went to the meeting, they optioned my pilot. And while we were working on on you know the deal on my deal, which is you know basically like okay, if we sell it, what will happen? Here's how much you might get paid. This is where we're looking at selling it. Do we want to find an actor? All that all that stuff that is really boring. They were like, we want to staff you on something, and you know we just have this little. We have this new show. Nobody knows about it yet. It's called. It's going to be about the Cobra. It's called Cobra Kai. It's about the Karate Kid. Like thirty years later, thirty something years later. So I was like, awesome. That sounds great. I would love that. I mean, <laughs> sounds cool. So my first meeting, I, I, I like did a ton of prep. I was like, okay, I have a ton of ideas. I didn't know what the meeting was going to be like. And I go into, it, it was in Will, I would later learn it was in Will Smith's office that he was not in at the time because he was off making these amazing movies. So I go into this office and it's just like cavern. It's just like the ceilings are so tall and there are the big three. And I mean, I loved like the Harold and Kumar movies and Hot Tub Time Machine. And it was just like, oh my God, this is extremely nerve wracking. And I was just like, whoa, this office is awesome. I love, love a room with big ceilings, love a room with big ceilings. And like, we just immediately just started talking about the show and about like my history and, and stuff like that. They had read, um, one of their producers, um, uh, Matt Lottman had read my script and pushed it on the guys. Like, you gotta meet me, you gotta meet this writer. So they met with me and we hit it off. And honestly, they were, I was asking questions because I was just like, I had ideas of like what the characters could do, but I didn't know what they had planned. And they ended up telling me like the entire, more or less the entire arc of season one. And I was just so blown away. I was just like nerding out, like, oh my God, like hearing some of the stuff like Robbie joining, joining, you know, learning under Daniel halfway through the season and, and Miguel and John, Miguel and, and Robbie facing off at the end and all this stuff. I was just like, holy cow, I hope to God I get this job. So uh, I left the meeting. I felt really good about it. They said they felt good about it, but I was like, this was my first gig. I had no credits. And then a few weeks later, I found out I got the job. And and also in between this, they announced the show. And I was just like, I saw Patton Oswalt tweeting. And I'm like, well, I'm going to lose the job to Patton Oswalt. I mean, why wouldn't they hire Patton Oswalt? (laughs) And then then I found out I got the gig and it was just huge. It was just like, I mean, I, I don't... The guys have heard me say this a few times, but I'll be honest, like getting the Cobra Kai gig was absolutely life changing. Like it started my career. It gave me a better relationship with Sony, with these guys. Like it's just unbelievable how that happened. And and being in the room my first time was awesome. They, like I said, they were super welcoming and it was a cool room. All the other writers were great and had a lot of experience. So I learned a lot. And then I heard I was going to get Molten. I was going to get episode eight, um, which was just super, super cool. Like, yeah, so that's how I got the episode. <laughs> so I mean, just just adding to that, uh, Michael. They uh, again, they they specifically chose you. Do you do you know what it was? Maybe that they, they decided to have you write Molting for for those that need a, a refresher. That's where we get to see Grandma Larusa again. We get to see Lucille, the return of Lucille. And when she showed up on screen, I was like, "Oh my God, she's back! Lucille is back!" So you had one of the one of those very memorable moments oh too God. in the show. I mean, season one. It was. I, I, I'll be. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I, I couldn't tell you. At least, I mean, the, the stuff that I really like to write are the scenes that are like. First of all, I love. I love comedy stuff. Like it's super fun to have a chance to to write jokes in the show. Um, and uh, and I learned very quickly the tone of the show is not extremely jokey, as as you guys know. Like there are there's a ton of comedy in it, but 
but it is not like a, it's not a jokey show. Um, and so anytime I get to write any sort of comedy, it's just like so lucky. But I also love writing some of the more heartfelt scenes. And and I knew that this scene had a lot of I knew this episode had a, was kind of setting up the next episode, which is even heavier in terms of the heart stuff like for the the meaningful scenes like with Johnny and Daniel. So it was just sort of an awesome opportunity to kind of like, okay, here's all our storylines and we need to kind of set up this, set up the stuff with the kids and set up the date stuff and the relationship stuff. And so, so yeah, I, I, I love to write relationship comedy too. So like the Miguel and Sam stuff was really fun to write. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of stuff that I, I like to write. Um, and I think they saw that and, and jumped, jumped in even further with episode nine of, of the second season uh, in terms of the stuff I really like to write. So. Yeah. That, that makes sense because the, the, the episode six of chosen that's not really a date per se, but Ricky and then the young lady there, it's, I, I could kind of see that yeah. uh, the relationship thing. Yeah. Um, so how much of the content of molting were you handed in an outline or, you know, from uh, the big three and how much of it was your actual pitch? You know, so so a lot of the stuff that we kind of plan out, we plan out together. Um, the guys had had season one. They, they had almost every single episode kind of figured out in terms of what we needed to get done. And, and as we went through the season, we would pitch ideas and build off of it and stuff like that. And, and what was kind of interesting about episode eight uh, was that there was a lot of stuff that ended up moving to other episodes in my original draft. Like, for instance, um, when, when Sam flips Miguel in, in episode seven, that was actually a scene I did a pass on in my episode. And the, the, there was an early version where the bonfire was in my episode. So there's a lot of things that got shifted around and later as the as as the writing continued. So there was I, I can't think of any specific scene that was like, oh, I really want to write this scene. I, I think I remember being like really having a really strong handle on the idea that like what Johnny's arc was gonna be, that this was gonna be a turning point for him and that he was going to change start changing his life coming into the next few episodes. So that was a big thing I remember pitching on. I, I don't remember who initially pitched the car being destroyed, but I do remember being like, we have to do it. It's in. It's in the script. I'm sorry, guys. There's a joke in the writer's room that if something is said three times, it happens. It's got, it's got to happen at this point. So there, that's what we joked about was that like, we said that we're going to blow up the car in season in this episode and we said it three times. So it's kind of out of our hands. I'm sorry. Um, it's like there's a lot of that in the chat. <laughs> uh so yeah so so there was a lot of things that like i think like yeah it's a group it's a it, i can't remember specific things that like i remember being a proponent of but it's just such a collaborative job that 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 sort of stuff just kind of disappears what like who who did what but but i remember feeling super excited that i got to write lucille scenes and i got to write like robbie daniel scenes and the jealousy stuff with miguel really starting to take off so there's a lot of awesome, awesome stuff in that episode. Um, I'm, I'll ask you a question that we asked Joe and Luan, but um, I have to say, so like, I, I, I love the show. I love the writing. There's just moments where I just laugh my ass uh, <laughs> out loud. And one of which is when Lucille is talking about the Cobra Kai and how they pushed them down a hill. And then Anthony's like, you said it was a cliff. <laughs> um, <laughs> was so, so this isn't the question I asked them, but so I guess it's a two-part question. Was that line yours? And then I guess the other question would be, 
what's the line that you didn't write that you wish you had written uh, in your episodes? So that uh, that line was something that the guy, the big three, and the room collectively was like just. We, we have to find a moment where that comes out. And there was a few different episodes where that joke came out and then was moved to this one. So I can't remember who initially pitched it. I, I feel like the big three, it had to be John, Josh, and Hayden. It's just so in their in their uh, tone. As for a joke that I wish I wrote, that's so tough. Um, I mean, that one is awesome. Like, anything Anthony says is, is like, my favorite stuff. So I made, like, that probably that line in my episode is, is one that I wish, wish I wrote. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Is there somebody that usually kind of writes the, uh, Anthony voice or, or his, some of his lines? Uh, you know, everyone kind of pitches. I, I pitch, I, I, <laughs> uh, I pitch a lot of Anthony. Um, I also pitch a lot of Stingray. So a fair amount of Anthony lines <laughs> and Stingray lines, like in, in episode, I don't want to like take credit for stuff, but I'm pretty sure that like, like, um, what is this, Afghanistan? When he learns that the pancakes, that, that's like a line of mine. Right. Um, Roland saying, you're you're a big man, Dad. It's like another line of oh, mine. I like so, 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 like, the, the Anthony stuff, uh, in season two, they started the room being like, everyone go around the room and say who your favorite character is. And I was like, Anthony, he's just, he's America's trash bag. And I just, like, he's just so much fun to, like, kind of, you know, needle Daniel. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's just so. And any chance that we get to write jokes is just like those characters are so much fun to to do that stuff. So uh, on the conver- on the topic of Lucille and Anthony and and Louis and everything else, throughout the course of that family dinner, which starts as a very you know happy cheerful occasion, and then Louis ruins the whole thing just by existing, um, and then. <laughs> You know, Sam's got the, oh, my God, Anthony, you make everything worse line, which, yeah, an <laughs> 11-year-old yeah. boy exists, accurate, makes everything worse. Accurate. Um, and it ends with Daniel just putting his hand up and going, don't talk to me. How much of that was, like, on the page, and how much of that was just those six going at it at the dinner table? That that stuff was on the page, and I, I have a feeling that stuff that the guys, I think, added to from my initial draft, just to get the tension up of that moment. Um, and I, I, but I, but the bickering, I mean, that's just like those, all those actors are so incredibly amazing and they all know their characters so well that I wouldn't be surprised if some of that bickering towards the end was, was improvised. But I have a feeling that up until you make everything worse and, and don't talk to me, that, that is stuff that was definitely on, on the page from the guys. Okay. Uh, I would say that, um, no, I, actually, I want to ask about this scene. My my favorite musical piece from the first season is Johnny's story. Uh, what can oh you gosh. tell us about writing writing Johnny telling his story to I, Miguel? I can't take any credit for that stuff. That was the guys. I mean, the guys from the get-go was like, we need to have a scene where, we, like, I, one of the things that, that those guys, what I love about this show and what those guys are so good about bringing out is, like, context on the old movies and and giving a new perspective on that stuff and that was something that the guys talked about like this should be in this episode and it's just like having those scenes are just so funny and and but there's heart to them too like it's such an interesting needle to thread because you need to get out this information that is completely new to these characters and in in um and you see a little bit of that in in episode nine um but but it's just like Having having it be funny and have how funny those those scenes turned out to be is just like a total testament to those guys. What about the um, 
I guess to borrow a wrestling professional wrestling term, the um, the face heel turn that Louis pulls at the end, oh, where he goes God. from you know being the the goofy oddball comic relief to literally throwing Daniel <laughs> under a flaming bus. I got a bat. I got a bat. Exactly. <laughs> And, so, and, you know, it, it, all the it, Daniel sent me, you know, kind of thing. A message from Daniel LaRusso. Yes, yes, that, that, so that was something that, it was interesting. So, so we were, we, we got to a point by episode eight that we realized that we wanted Louie to be the one to, to do this. And, and at the time, Louie was actually, well, Louie showed up in, in my, in my episode. And that was originally the first time you saw Louie and getting to this point of like, of, of him making a meaningful choice that hurts Daniel, we realized, oh my gosh, we should go back and put Louis in it. And I think Joe and Luan actually alluded to this in their interview, but we actually went through and like Joe made this huge spreadsheet of every episode that we had written up to that point where Louis would need to be rewritten. So we actually went back into these scripts and originally it was like another, there was another character that was Anusha's friend and the two of them kind of bounced off each other. So Louis was actually in the writing process, a relatively late addition to the other episodes, but we knew that we wanted to get this point of like, like being able to write Daniel LaRusso sent me was just an absolute joy. Like it was just so much fun to, write those, to type those words into it. Um, it. It was, it was awesome. I mean, like all the stuff with the bikers was something we wanted to make sure that we seeded a little bit. Like we, we just like something that I learned from this and something that I always loved is like setting something up and paying it off. So, like, making sure that Louis felt like someone you you didn't come out of nowhere. Because if he wasn't in those other episodes, when he did that stuff, it would have felt like, kind of, like, wow, that's, like, he just came into this episode to do this. Right. So, it was really important to, to, to the guys to, like, make him a bigger character. And, and it just, Brett is so funny. Like, he, right. he just hails Louis. And, it, and he's it, another it, character it I works. love to write to. Like, Louis is awesome. Because the way you guys built him, you know, through the season is we see him as so super protective of Daniel, like all the way through. And then at the end, you know, like blames everything on him. Yeah. And it's just it, F Louie. That's, that's, <laughs> that's where I am at the end of that Louis, episode. Louie is so fun. Like, I, I, I don't know. As you can tell, I just love, I have such a soft spot for writing some of the, the big comedy characters. Dimitri's another person, character I love to write for. Um, so, yeah, anything with, with Louis and Anoush is just, like, a blast. They're like Statler and Waldorf, right? From, oh, I, from, it's a little bit, you know? Comparison. Yes. <laughs> So I'm really bad at pointing out like Easter eggs and nods and references. Like my, I think my infamous one is when Trey and Cruz are knocking on the door in 104, and I was like, "Oh, that's the dr that's the drum toy. That's what it sounds like." <laughs> yeah, and like when we when we interviewed uh, Jeff uh, J Cap Jeff Kaplan, mm -hmm. he was all like, "Oh no, that's just something we thought we'd mess around, just knock on the door." And I was like, "Oh man," <laughs> but but then Hayden when when they first came on the show, they're like, "Oh yeah, that was for you, Peter." <laughs> um, but anyway. Something that I, I've never put this out there because, again, like I feel it's a reach, but maybe you can give insight on the scene where Johnny is writing a letter to Robbie. Yeah. Like, I got a very much like a Marta McFly writing a letter to Doc Brown in the first Back to the Future movie. Definitely that vibe. Like, there are, like, I mean, you know, movies like Back to the Future and, you know, Back to School, like all these 80s and 90s <laughs> movies are constantly thrown around in the room. And, and the vibe of that stuff, like, 
I'll, I'll come back and tell you uh, when when you guys see season three. But there was like a specific movie that I was that was deep in my head when I was writing some of my scenes in 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 my episodes that like I I just called back to in order of getting that feeling. Like when I when I'm writing, I like to play music that is like tonally matching the kind of stuff that I'm writing. So like I have an '80s mix for Cobra Kai that's got a lot of Rush and got that's like '80s music that I really love. So like it's all about like capturing that vibe. So so that vibe like even if that vibe wasn't necessarily like immediately thought of, it's in the it's in the ether. You know what I mean? Of just that that feeling. I have to ask on behalf of the entire fandom, new old, I would be remiss if I did not ask this question. What time of night did Johnny get on that motorcycle and head for Escalon Drive? <laughs> uh, definitely early morning. I could probably actually look at the script because I think that's something we talked about. Um, I would say, you know, who doesn't write a letter at like 4 a.m.? You know what I mean? And then, and also he doesn't, he's got to like, think of it this way. He's, he's leaving at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. He doesn't know exactly where Daniel LaRusso lives. So he's probably making his way up the hill, going up every single streets so by the time he got to that house i can imagine um but that's an excellent point that's really funny it's it's just like right from the very beginning it took him seven hours to make a 20 minute drive <laughs> so we've been trying to figure out where he went you I mean, know have you guys been in la traffic it's brutal yes, um, yes. <laughs> Um, matter of fact, you know, since I, I did fly down to Sony to meet up with John and Hayden, cool. and I had planned before the meeting, I had planned to go to um, to the beach, you know, the stump where they do the crane oh, kick. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There was uh, another location. I was I was, was going to go to the beach where they had the beach party. So there was a few locations I wanted to hit up. You had to cancel golf and stuff. Yeah, well, we went to we we did go to golf and stuff. Um, what I had to cancel was me meeting up with uh, Sensei William Christopher Ford. So I was going to meet up with him too, and I even reached out to like Sean Kanan and Ron Thomas, who all live in California, uh, Daryl Vidal. But just where everybody was located, I had such a, a small window, and obviously my meeting with with the the two of the big three was at a specific time, and e and just even getting into Sony was a you know, B-I-T-C-H, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, and I was late to that because I, I didn't, I guess I, it didn't occur to me people might be returning from lunch, and so. Oh, it's a nightmare. Like, anytime I have a meeting that's yeah. anywhere across town, I give myself two hours, and I always show, I always show up to the meeting an hour early, and I just kill time in my car or grab a coffee like that, or I mean, this is in the before times, but, um, but yeah, it's just like the city, it's just so uh, it's so unpredictable with that stuff. So. Well, and it did come back too. So, it, you know, because Daniel took like six hours to get from Fernandez meets back to the dealership, you know, in sure, a God sure. awful rush. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it's just yeah, like yeah. a thing, you know, on the show, it takes forever to get anywhere. So, yes, yes. <laughs> and I mean, Hayden came out on Twitter and said that, you know, I mean, he was knocking on every single door looking for the loser. Exactly, so that's probably exactly. what took him so long. Yeah, Amy, Amy in the chat said that, that uh, she, he was standing in someone else's backyard for half an hour before he was sent away. <laughs> I do that with my wife. I like, I stand in one place waiting for her to look at me and I'll just do, I will stand there for at least 20 minutes to a half an hour waiting for her to notice that I'm grinning at her like an idiot across the room. But it's always worth it. Always worth it. That's love. It's love. That's love. It's love, love 
Um, I mean, uh, Brianna, do you have any more questions about mol- uh, molting before we get into um, um, I have to ask, whose idea was Yoda? The, the, the Yoda handstand on the rock that Daniel did. Because that is so freaking Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Star Wars. It's perfect. Uh, I, I can't remember whose idea it was, but we were talking in the room about what is going to be the crane kick of the season. And I remember us talking about, you know, Robbie being at a skateboarding. And I, I don't remember who pitched it. Um, and I don't want to take credit in case I wasn't the one who did it. But, like, we were like, you know, when, when, when you do a handstand, it kind of looks in the same. It looks like in a position that could be seen as a kick. So that was what we went off with, was just like, or that was what I went, went off with, was like, okay, let's do that. Um, and I think, like, just by virtue of, of, of the Star Wars being like I said, like, we, we have major Star Wars conversations. Me, Luan, and Hayden are, like, the biggest Star Wars nerds. Much to, uh, hey, Jackie. Sorry, I see somebody saying hi, Michael, in the, in the chat. Uh, <laughs> we are such Star Wars nerds to the chagrin of everybody, especially John, who's just like, okay, nerds, uh, can, we can keep moving on. Because Luan and I and Hayden will just be like into these huge prequel arguments about like, we love, listen, the prequels, great on paper, execution, not so much. But what about this? So, so Star Wars is like in the pantheon of our conversation for sure. So I'm not surprised that there's big Yoda feels. Uh, when you see that the scene. Nerd shit, right? Yeah, the nerd shit. Quick follow-up, uh, as far as the filming, mm-hmm. is that a wire stunt or is that CG? Mm-hmm. I have actually always wondered that. I, I So I don't 100% know because I was not on set season one, I, but based on what I've learned from being on set is that I would say I'm guessing it's wire work with the wires erased. That is what my guess would be. Oh, wow. So and that's actually Ralph Macchio standing on his head. Well, you know what's funny is that, like, you, when, when you do any of these stunts, and we'll talk about it in Pulpo, too, but, like, any sort of stunt like that, you have to have some sort of wires set up so that in case they fall. So, like, my guess is the reason why I think they, it was probably wires is because I know for a fact that when Robbie was up on that tree, he was wired up. And in Pulpo, um, Tori and Sam, even doing a stunt on a chair, is still a stunt. So they had to be wired up, too. Right. So I'm, I wow. wouldn't be surprised if, if Daniel was wired up uh, for that stunt and and switched him out for when he fell uh, down when Robbie uh, walked in on him. Oh wow, that's interesting that that you weren't on set in season one. Um, so it, I, I'm sure that it was a season two behind the scene photo. I don't know if you shared it or it was Mary, but uh, it was a picture of of your back, and you might have been wearing a Star Wars shirt. Yeah, that you was remember something like that. that? Yeah, two, yeah. sitting I on have, a chair. Okay, I have an equal amount of Star Wars shirts and um, and Cobra Kai shirts now. It's like most of my wardrobe oh, nice. is nerd shit stuff like that. Um, so that was definitely season two. Season one, like like I said, I was a staff writer. I was low man on the totem pole that year, and um, and like I finished up the room a few weeks early, just contractually. So that's just how it works in, in the industry is that the, the, the lower level writers are usually the first, the first to be excused. So I, I was not on set. And, and the guys, like, they, you know, coming into season two, like, one of, one of my, um, one of the things that, like, I, I that are, like, one of the things I'm good at is I have a really good memory. Like, well, a good memory about things I care about. Like, I could tell you pretty much all 151 Pokemon and their types but I have to look at a calendar <laughs> when my family's wedding anniversaries are. Um, so when it came to Cobra Kai, I, I have a really good memory about that stuff. Like, and that's from being a writer assistant. I kind of remember like 
you can more or less, I, I mean, I don't want you to quiz me, but like you could say a script or a scene and I could probably guess what episode it takes place in. So I have a big encyclopedia knowledge of like, for the most part of what happens when and keep and keep track of that stuff. So the guys invited me to come out on set and be the on-set writer to help rewrite stuff and help them kind of get the scenes done that they couldn't, that they needed help with while they were busy directing and producing and all that stuff and just kind of be, you know, just on, on hand for anything, joke pitches, alts, rewriting scenes because we have a, we lost the location, just doing that kind of grunt work. And also like knowing, okay, if we make a change to five, what's going to happen to six? If we make a change to six, do we have to make changes to one through four? Like, so that was a lot of stuff that I ended up doing a lot of. And, and that was what I learned to do even more so in, when I went on set and, and did that to an even greater extent with the help of Joe and Luan in season three. So. Uh, speaking, uh, throwing back a little bit to Cobra Kai t-shirts, are you wearing a Cobra Kai Coors Banquet crossover t-shirt right <laughs> I now? Am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> when I you leaned back, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, pretty that amazing. is awesome. Where is that available? Anywhere? Or is that for uh, you guys? Possibly? I can't remember where it's from. Um, that some A company, we stumbled upon this. Any, we, we, when we find out that anyone is doing anything fan-related to Cobra Kai, we immediately jump on it because it blows our minds and it's awesome. And, oh, thank you, Michael, for liking my shirt. Uh, <laughs> they... Uh, so when we heard that they were making these shirts, we were like, oh, we hate to throw a cease and desist your way. Not that we had any power to do anything because nobody's making T-shirts. But we, but they actually offered like, hey, if you guys want some shirts, send us your sizes. So I sent my size and I got this shirt and it's like my favorite shirt and it's peeling because uh, I don't take good care of my shirts. But uh, it's awesome and it's extremely comfortable. And the second I, uh, I can send you guys the link of like where I picked it up, but I can't remember off. Okay, because like Amy, Amy points out, it's a truly amazing shirt and everyone must have it. <laughs> It's a very I, good I shirt. It. It's very good. I think so. I think the the guys have one of them too. I don't. I'm not sure. Maybe John has it up here. But uh, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, brilliant design. I like it a lot. Um, Popo. Well, yes, yeah. Popo. <laughs> well, Brianna, I I mean, I I'm sure you you just got a plenty of questions. If you just want to jump in, I'll this work off of those. Best episode ever. <laughs> Thank ever. you. It's pretty darn great. Thank you. It is pretty darn great. Um, it is hands down my my absolute favorite episode. Um, it did something I never thought could be done, which was knocked different but same out of first place for the same reason. You gave us two things that I live for, Ralph Macchio dancing and Johnny <laughs> and Daniel shaking hands. So thank you. No, thank you. I loved that episode. Like, I I loved writing Molting. It was such a fun episode. There's so much, like, Lucille stuff, like, we talked about so much good stuff. But the, when I found out that I was going to write episode nine, I was just, like, over over the goddamn moon. I was so excited, like, and intimidated. Because, like you said, this is a big episode. You've got the, you've got the two of them together. You've got the, the party at the, with the kids. Like, there's so much happening. And it was just an absolute blast to write. The uh, you mentioned the party scene uh, when we spoke with Owen about the party scene, and it, it's kind of it's almost a blink and you miss it unless you watch it uh, often as most of us do. But uh, at one point, Bert is bartending, and I called him the Bert tender. Um, was, was that something like on the spot? You guys decided like, hey, let's have Bert pour drinks, or what was, what was that about? That was on the spot, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is great. It's an excellent choice. Um, but I will <laughs> say the one thing we did talk about in the room was this idea that Bert and Nate hate each other, despite never seeing the two of them actually talk. 
There's just something so funny to us about knowing like Sam and Tori hate each other, Miguel and Robbie hate each other, and then realizing that these two characters just had this behind the scenes thing that you never saw is just like the funniest stuff to me. I love that. Well, and and what comes across, I don't know whether it was, you know, just me putting text where there is none or or whatever, is something similar to what happened with Chris and Mitch, because they were the little guys, so they had super, super bonded, and then when Nathaniel left, Bert felt betrayed, and that's the way that I perceived that whole thing with them, Um, but this is excellent timing, AJ is in the chat now. Um, hey, as, we're, as we're speaking of uh, the party scene. Oh, see, yeah. Um, so, Owen, Owen just said Bert Tennant. Yeah, yeah, Owen, yeah. Uh, uh, so I will say in my, I mean, in the canon, we kind of talked about, like, we, we imagine that the Bert and Mitch, and this is like not 100%, but this is what I was imagining writing those characters, is that it was more like Bert enjoyed being kind of the, the little guy who everybody kind of loved. Like, that's our Bert. And then when Nate came in right, to right. Cobra Kai, he was like, fuck that guy. He's taking oh. my, he's the new cute little guy. no. To, he- to hell with him I'm that guy and then when he left I think there was an element of that sort of like rivalry that it came out of absolute nowhere um, but uh, but yeah those two are awesome and like right those those characters are great so love, it's like the, the, the Philadelphia Philly and Fred Bird the Red Bird getting in a fist yeah. fight on the sidelines they're the mascots yes, exactly okay. they're the mascots yeah yeah um, oh, man. I saw in the chat I want to hear that dialogue I know right? <laughs> I, listen if, if listen if Netflix wants to make a Bert Nate spinoff. I'm ready. I'm here for it. Um, I oh, did so see. Me. <laughs> in, I saw someone ask who decided to tape up Stingray's hands to beer bottles. I can't remember who, if that was me or Hayden. Um, I will say one of the other bonuses of writing episode nine was that I, I wrote a lot of it on set. Um, like I wrote, I, I did a lot of, I did a lot of the first draft of it while I was still in LA and continued to work on it. And as we were producing the other episodes, I was constantly rewriting nine based on what needed to to happen but what was great was i i was working like one-on-one with hayden a lot being on set and and it was an awesome experience like pitching stuff back and forth and coming up with that stuff i think he i think i i want to say hayden was the one that came up with the 40 hands thing maybe i pitched that i, I can't remember at this point but stingray like i said is like one of my favorite characters and uh, i read a lot of stingray's lines because he's so much fun to write for <laughs> Uh, my favorite, my favorite Stingray line through the whole thing is, "My mom's gonna kill me." Yep, you yeah, thirty-five-year-old yeah. man terrified of his mother finding out he's drinking. Um, I also love, I also love uh, what he says. Uh, no, no, no! Don't clap for them. We hate the Miyagi dips. Like right? <laughs> that stuff. The, 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 right, the girlfriend. Yeah, I think the line that I definitely wrote that I love is is him um, him saying these like I thought we were going to your friend's house, and he goes, "These are my friends. Their mom's out of town." I like love like. <laughs> Right is just like a dream to write. He's so much fun. That's probably my favorite line of his, really. Uh, n- now, um, Thank you. oh gosh, I'm kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, since since you wrote the line, the character is in this episode, Stingray. Um, in your headcanon, how did he meet this young this young lady? Is that a Tinder date? Uh, well, what's going on with, with I, this? I imagine that was a little surprise. I us. imagine that he flipped the script. He's got his cool best. He's got his awesome beard cut, his awesome beard, which I wish I could do, but I'm afraid to shape this. Um, hair and makeup. Yeah, right? hair and makeup. Yes, that hair was and makeup. makeup. Did that, yeah, so you that could just ask. <laughs> yeah. um, not, not the not the making it look like an actual stingray on the side. That was right, right. well, that was hair, but I mean that was actually shaven. But um, uh, I like to imagine that he met her at a bar and was just sort of like 
acting really cool and this woman's like oh my gosh like this like he's got some he's got some swagger like this is cool like maybe they've seen each other i think we were joking around that like they met each other like she was maybe a waitress at a diner that he'd go to a restaurant he'd go to all the time and like asked her out and she was like oh this bad boy that's cool and then just completely being blindsided when it's like no one is under 18 at this party um it's great uh, what about, um, we've got several people, well, uh, you know, uh, Kate Brett um, is asking about Dimitri's roast, and um, I want to go a little bit deeper with that and ask, mm-hmm. are you the gigantic Hoovian on staff that, you yep. know, it starts <laughs> the whole conversation about Capaldi going into Jody and all of that? Yes, that is me. I wrote those scenes. I also pitched the Doctor Who's, uh, when we were doing the Halloween episode, I pitched that, like, a Doctor Who should take one of the Daenerys's. Right. Uh, that was that was my pitch also. So, like, any of the Doctor Who stuff, I, I like to throw in there. Um, but it also just, like, a Doctor Who thing, it just fits so nicely because it was something, it, it kind of tied into what happened with Hawk and Piper, like, a few minutes before. So right. that was also nice. And it was also, like, mm. at the time, I, it just felt like something that, like, you, I, you just wanted to have a moment where the two of them like connected over something and the binary brother thing comes into play. And just the idea that this pop culture is so intrinsic in the two of them, like imagining the two of them watching every episode of Dr. Who together and, and texting each other like, Oh my gosh, that episode was awesome. And bring it hat in them sharing in this like big change that if you're a Whovian, like Moffat leaving and, and a new doctor is always a big, big moment. So like, it just felt like the right sort of thing for the two of them to talk about. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm sitting here blown away by the the depth of that, the female doctor replacing twelve and Piper replacing Hawk and Hawk. wow yeah yeah I I just that just occurred to me too it's really so. really subtle like it's not it's super subtle and and you know it's it's just like it just felt like the right thing for them to talk about um, and yeah like I see Amy saying Eli was back for a moment like that was the moment that was something we wanted to have in that in that little bit. So, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a great touch. I mean, kind of in the same sequence with the, with the roast, uh, one of my favorite, um, Nathaniel lines, and it's not like he has a whole lot, but I love math humor. You know, like, <laughs> what about that, that one? That one I can't That's take credit of... for. That one might have been on set because I, I had actually left the set. It was such a bummer. The way that my, my contract worked out, I was only there for a certain amount of weeks and, wouldn't you know it? Right when I had to leave was when my episode was uh, was being shot. So I only saw a little bit of episode oh, nine no. being shot. Like um, I was there for um, Robbie and his mom, which was a really awesome scene. And yeah. so some of the little bits, um, like the, them rehearsing the, the restaurant scene. So I wasn't there for like a lot of the bigger stuff. But that line, I, I can't take credit for. It. So either that was a on that was a line from the guys or like something like that. But it's great. Um. Yeah, it's Going back to the the cold open and the montage, um, it's a question that's asked quite often, and I'm fairly sure I know the answer. Um, in that montage, we've got the girls, you know, bouncing back and forth, and then Tori has the line about uh, some people have it, you know, some people have it easy. We have to fight for everything and and all mm-hmm. of that. Sam says everyone has a sob story that doesn't give you the right to be a bully. Mm-hmm. Sam does not say that line anywhere in the season. So mm-hmm. is that a line that was cut or is that one that was written specifically to answer back to Tori? It, I don't believe it was a 
cut line, but I can't say more about that line because I don't want to spoil anything in season three. So I, I, I'll, oh. I'll say that I'll say that it's a very important line, but I or it's a cool line. It's a great line. It sums up that moment, but I don't want to accidentally spoil anything. So I'll just leave it that it was not a line that was cut from the season. Uh, on the note of like cut lines, and we'll throw in scenes too. Um, so, of the two episodes that you wrote the teleplay for, was there uh, a line, a joke, or uh, a moment that didn't make it that was in your script? Uh, man, you know, no, because I, I always like loved. I always thought that like what what re- what got replaced was always better, or I understood the reason for something being cut. So I never felt anything like that. I will say though. The one joke that I, I did write or pitch in the room that was in the script for a very small moment uh, in, in, I don't know if it was in eight or in episode eight or episode seven or whatever in the first season, but there was a joke when Robbie was talking to Daniel about um, where he lives and and how it's like not a great place to live. And, and Daniel's like, what do you mean? And Robbie goes, well, in my town, we have six McDonald's and no hospital. And I always loved that joke uh and that it did not make it into the script for a very good reason because like i said it was it was too jokey um but i just loved the idea of that it always made me laugh but um is but there isn't any specific kind, of, kind of true it's kind is of true i mean it's very not specific real. to north hills right that, that's the thing like i like it's not realistic enough to land right um, like it was just sort of like a funny bit that's like it's funny to think about robbie living in a town that has more fast food than actual medical places um, but that's not realistic. Like, no town is really like that anyway. So it was a good cut. But I always liked just the, the comedy of that beat. As, as, but that's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. The um, AJ here says that Popo is one of his favorite. Oh, thank you, AJ. His, yeah, one of his favorite ep- episodes. Um, as I understand it, so the when we spoke with Nate, he talked because we asked him about the whole uh, dance battle oh, yeah, between yeah. him and AJ. And I believe somebody either somebody showed dougie or dougie saw some dancing and decided to include that can you give insight on the dance battle yeah uh, i remember the guys we were i was coming down the set and and the guys or dougie pointed out that like nate has some moves i think like one of the big three was telling me about like did you hear that like nate actually has some dance moves he was like just whipping them out like in between shots so we were like we have to find a place to put that in so yeah that was why we put it into episode nine it felt like a really great spot that. Yeah, I, I think there was um, a video somebody shared yes, it yeah. where uh, Asher, Asher and Nate was like dancing on stage like during lunch or yes. something. Yeah, they were like, oh man, Nate's doing like this Fortnite dance? Like we should find a spot for him to actually right, right. like pull out those moves. I was like, absolutely. Let's throw it in the party. So yeah, it's a great oh, spot. It was so great. Hey, so when, when, when we talked to uh, Luan and Joe, I mentioned to them, you know, like um, and ask them how did they deal with knowing that they were going to be the ones to write the first real incarnation of the fight between Johnny and Daniel. So I kind of have to ask you the same thing, but in the opposite direction, because you gave us the handshake, which is the first time they have touched each other other than beating the crap out of each other yes. in 34 years. So you, like the first visual symbol of the coming we hope crush fingers unity between them. <laughs> you got that moment. So how did you approach that? Did that intimidate you at all or hundred percent intimidating the second night? Cause we, we talked in generalities about what this episode was going to do. We knew that we wanted them to shake hands. 
We knew that we wanted them to get to that place. We knew that through this dinner, it was going to have to happen. Um, we knew that Robbie was going to show up with Sam at Johnny's door to blow it all up. We knew that Carmen and Johnny were going to have their first moment. That was a real emotional moment. And, and a lot of writing is sort of like puzzle solving in terms of like, how do we get to this moment? How do we buy in the logic of these characters? How do like headspace, John and Joe and the lawn brought that up. But if there's one thing I've learned so much writing on the show, it's always about headspace. Where's this character's head coming into this episode? Where does it have to leave? And how do you get there in a way that you, you understand and buy? So having those scenes be like, okay, in this first date, first date scene, they absolutely hate each other. In this next one, they start bickering. In this next one, they warm up a little bit. In this next one, they bond. In this time, they, they're doing the, the talk about that. I saw in the, the chat the four rounds, and I caught it. The last time I went four rounds, I caught a foot in my face, which yes. is a line that I, I believe I wrote, and I couldn't believe that it stayed in because I was like, is this too much of a nod? Um, but the guys were into it, so I was so happy that it survived. But um, It's amazing. It's, it it's is a, a fantastic line. line. Thank you. I, again, I don't want 100% take credit because, like, I think I wrote that line, but you know, you never know who pitched it. So I don't want anyone to get mad at me, but for now I'll say I wrote it. And if anybody wants to text me, text me. But, uh, but, but like, you have to be so careful with all those moments. And like the guys were so great about like, I remember coming into their office multiple times being like, what do you think about this? What about this? Like, is this okay? Like wanting to really get their input to make sure that we're hitting those beats super, super correct. And so it was extremely intimidating. And the fact that everybody loves those scenes so much, like I went into those scenes, I put all my heart and passion into those scenes to make sure they were right and to make sure it felt good. And like, I knew it was kind of given to me. So I want to make sure it, it landed. And the guys were so helpful hitting that stuff. Like the um, moment where, um, where they, the, there was a mistake with the food that was, that was Hayden. Hayden was like, we should have like a Seinfeld moment in this, in this dinner. Like what if this happened? And, and I was like, I love it. Let's do it. That helps. So, so it's, it's awesome. Like that whole scene was just so all those scenes were just like amazing i think a lot of the power of the handshake too um it, it didn't diminish it in the slightest right they go into it with daniel being super super serious and sincere and they come out of it with johnny once again giving him shit um, yes exactly and, and, and just, squeezing the hand a little too hard yes which I, and it's just I so them that. you know yeah. it, it I just think it was perfect. josh i think josh was the one because i remember coming to the office and being like how, how do we want this moment to land like we want them to shake hands. I think it was one of the big three. Maybe it was Josh. Um, was like he should he should squeeze it a little too hard and get a little line at it. And it's just like it's great. So all that stuff is just yeah. It's a such an incredible episode. I mean, um, Mike uh, Mike Tobin. Yeah, he he brought up exactly what I was about to ask you about the white belt line, which was uh, also one of my favorites. Uh, white belts, you know, the, the newbies. Oh. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that. Can't thing. take credit for that line, but it's great. It's really funny. It's a great line, but uh, isn't it also like Josh's pet peeve when somebody a server doesn't take down the order and just tries to do it by memory? Yes, it's a Was huge that pet. Yeah. I mean, I know the guy. Like, I've been lucky enough to go out to eat with these guys, and like his food is like my other passion. I love to eat disgusting food that is destroying my body, and those those guys <laughs> eat like absolute kings. Like I like we the, the places that they took me out to dinner was just like mm, so amazing and uh, that is just a huge pet peeve of those guys. So that it could have been one of those things where the three of them talked about it and one of them mentioned to me like what if it was this and they just talked about it amongst themselves. But yeah, it's a huge pet peeve. 
It's my people of mine too. I'm like, just write it down. What's the problem? Like writing those scenes were super easy because I feel the same way. I'm like, what's the problem? Like my parents do that all the time. And I like, just write, just, you, you have a pad. I can see it in your pocket. Um, Right, right. You're carrying the pad for that specific reason. Yeah. You're t- you're taking down the order. Yeah, exactly. Right. And now we're we're to the point again where you know it could go on forever and ever and ever because I want to ask you about the blueberry pie. I want to ask you about <laughs> the aggressive chip eating. Um, so like so so many little minutia. Um, and like uh, when the um, well, I guess it would have been October, September, October of uh, 2018. The official series uh, put out a tweet that they were there, or it was a casting site or something like that, put out that they were looking for people who could salsa. And um, I I picked that up and I retweeted it and I said, hey, I know this guy. And it was the the footage of uh, Ralph Salsa from Dancing with the Stars. And the official series actually liked that tweet that I made. And awesome. it's like I sat silently on that for six months going, he's going to dance, he's going to dance, he's going to dance. And then he's in the background and, it, you know, the focus of the scene is Johnny and Carmen. But Daniel was still dancing. There, um, there was some stuff that got that got cut that was definitely like seeing Daniel like break out the moves and like, you know, you see him dipping Amanda and Johnny's like, of course. Like, like just of course Daniel has like all these incredible moves. Um but yeah, yeah, that scene was awesome. Like uh and I don't think I don't think anyone's caught the Easter egg in that. Have did you, did you guys know there's an Easter egg in that dance scene with Johnny and Carmen? In the dance scene? So this is a small and the only reason I remembered this is because I watched the episodes again last night, but there's a moment where Johnny and Carmen are dancing and Carmen says, no, look in my eyes. When you, when you fight someone, you don't look at your feet. You look in their eyes. You always look in their eyes, which is, I, I wrote as, always a, look as a, yeah, oh, as yeah, a, yeah. Always look as a, yeah, as a Miyagi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have to ask you, you were talking headspace and, and character voice and oh, things absolutely. like that. You are the one who can, who can confirm this 100%. And, you also won't think it's weird that I'm talking about fictional characters like they're real people because you're a writer. So, um, not real. They're real to me. Did Amanda and Carmen set that whole thing up, like intentionally? No. Going to the restroom, ladies. Oh, room. the restroom or, or yes. the the the, sh- the, 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 uh, the 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 leaving to leave those two together to work their crap out. I don't think they said it. I think that was a moment of, I think we should go and knowing what that, what was going to happen by doing that. But I don't think that was them that they were like texting under the table to each other saying oh, like, well, yeah, hey, yeah. We I, I think it was more like, we're going to go to the bathroom. No, don't go. Um, you know what I mean? So I think they definitely knew what was going to, I mean, Amanda knows hundred percent what's happening with those two um, at all times. So yeah. So it was, I'd say somewhere in between, it wasn't like a completely like we're going to the bathroom without knowing what was going to happen. But I don't think it was something they like, Super premeditated, if that makes sense. Okay, because they did not look the least bit surprised. Like, when no, they got no, back, they, they, they knew that, you know, they, they'd fixed something anyway. Yes, yes exactly. Now, um, Joe and Luan are a writing team, and um, you're credited uh, as the, you know, the solo writer on these two episodes. Uh, when you need... Uh, some help or some inspiration how do you go find you know to write like uh, voices for for the the women uh, characters and um maybe just something that uh you're not so privy to in terms of like 
other cultures or something like that, like maybe with the Diaz's? So I, I do a lot of research, um, like with molting, uh, which had the, the dinner at, um, at Carmen's and at the Diaz house. I did a lot of research about like, okay, they're Ecuadorian. Like what are some dishes they might make? Like, like some of that stuff. We, I did some research on and pitched some ideas. Um, as for writing another character's voices, like, Am- like Amanda's voice or Carmen's voice, like I, what, what's so great is that the guys have done such a good job establishing those voices and the actors have done such a good job playing these characters that like, I can literally just kind of like close my eyes and kind of think like, okay, how would Amanda say this? So like, um, like the, like big glass thing, like the big glass joke or something like that. Like I was like, okay, she's constantly calling out, like <laughs> she is not afraid to call out that sort of stuff. And like, oh, they're in Warren karate dojos. Can you get me a, a mojito? So, uh, or a kettle of <laughs> Um, big glass big glass yeah. so uh yeah so like it, it's really just about like thinking about headspace again like what are these characters coming into the scene about like how do they talk like again i, I even when i was younger i used to listen to like i'm, I'm very much like a, i can when i hear things i can i, I just kind of take it in i'm very like what is it audio learner auditory learner whatever mm-hmm. i totally nailed the phrase of that um but i used to like <laughs> download episodes of like Seinfeld and home movies and play them on my little like record on my little like mp3 player cd player and just like listen to how that dialogue was was said and stuff so like I used to be able to get the rhythms of that and I I just can I just like find I just like listen to a lot of the dialogue and read a lot of the other scripts to like remember how these characters come into these scenes and stuff we we like about how the way these characters talk and just try to like parrot that a little bit um and it's it's not easy and i still get it wrong um so it's 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 definitely tough but the guys are so great about just like constantly keeping the, the ship in the right direction with that stuff uh, so. uh, with the little bitty details um you know I, I i wouldn't know anyone who may or may not be on a podcast who actually went into great detail about the different drinks that everyone is drinking and just how drunk they would be by the end of the night sure but mm-hmm. um we did notice that with Johnny drinking, you know, his beer of choice, that he's just going to be pretty well Johnny by the end of it. Daniel is drinking straight up shots of tequila. He is going to be yeah. completely drunk off his ass by the time they're done. Um, yes. Was that like an intentional decision? Was that something? I mean, are the, the details like that are the things that amaze me. I, I remember um, I, I went back through the script to see what I wrote in my earlier drafts and, and what, sur- what survived in the, in the last drafts. And, the drinks, I remember writing those down, just thinking about like, okay, well, what are each of these characters going to order at something like this? Like, I think the Cadillac Martin, I think my original pitch was a mojito for Amanda and it was brilliantly um, um, uh, 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 pitched uh, as a Cadillac Margarita, which is way funnier and way better, um, which is just so Amanda. And then like, I was imagining Daniel would probably order something that like would match well with his food, you know, or something that's like, I'm in this location, I'm going to order this kind of drink. It's just thinking about like what these characters would, like Daniel would pick something that's in in his character and like the Michelada for um, for Carmen and just the comedy of like, Johnny always orders a course. Right. He knows what he likes. He's going to order a taco without the green stuff. That's just the way Johnny orders his tacos. Like, it's just, it's just Daniel feels like the kind of character that like when he's in a location, which is kind of like me, like I want to order the right thing that pairs you know what I mean? So just that sort of just keeping that idea in mind at all times is like, what are these? How do these characters look at these like different situations? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think we'll probably spend a few more minutes before uh, we get ready to um, uh, wrap up. And I always feel like uh, everything that you guys write is very deliberate. Um, can you talk about the decision in having uh, Johnny refer to Daniel and Amanda as the LaRussos? Uh, when saying oh, yeah, night, the you know, at the end of the, the the dance, yeah, yeah, it's just we we didn't want him to say Daniel, like it didn't feel mm-hmm. like they were at that stage in their relationship where he would say it. Did, it felt out of character for him to say good night, Daniel and Amanda. Like even saying it out loud, it just doesn't sound like something Johnny would say. <laughs> and, yeah. and since he always says, you know, he calls Daniel Larusso, like he always has, it just felt like the right choice for him to say good night, Larusso. Like that just. You Just can't see it, but I am punching the air, jumping up and down, screaming, yes, 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 over and over and over again. Because Johnny saying Daniel's name is such a huge thing in the fandom, and we're waiting for it so eagerly. And we're all like, well, they're not there yet. They're not, you know, because it's going to be a big thing when Johnny yeah. says it. And you just confirmed that, that yes, if Johnny ever says Daniel's name, it has to be the exact right moment. Mm-hmm. And that head just space. makes me so happy. Yeah, be in the head space. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm fangirling. Oh no, I'm glad. No, no, no. <laughs> because I mean that because that's been a thing like all the way back since season one. The closest he ever came was referring to him as Daniel Larusso when he was talking about him in your episode again um, when he was talking to Miguel. That's the closest he's ever come. So it just it just always feels so weird. Like, I remember writing that episode and being like, it just feels weird hearing Johnny say Daniel. It just doesn't sound right. Like, it but then he says it in the game. He's going to say yes. it in the game and he just throws it out. Um, yeah. And it's so weird to hear Billy's voice say, Daniel's going to pay for this. Like, it doesn't even fit because that's completely the wrong atmosphere for him to sure. say that name. But yeah, it's more informal, you know, calling him the, the, the last name because, yeah, they're not on that level. You had a question. That he he can actually answer. Do you remember the question that you asked when we did the podcast and we were e- evaluating the food and their orders and everything? I don't. Is the green stuff lettuce or guacamole? Lettuce. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I vaguely remember the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it could be either, um, but I was imagining lettuce when I. Ordered. Okay. Okay. That's how I order. Yeah, that's, I, how I, I, that's how I order my tacos. I don't want the lettuce on it. It's really? not a taco like then. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't like. I don't like shredded lettuce on tacos. It's just empty. It's just empty. It's just a crunch. Like I'm getting the crunch from the taco shell. Like I don't need the lettuce on it. That it just reminds me of school. Like like being in middle school or high school, where like if you had taco day, it'd be like those little really sad tacos with too much green stuff. I just don't don't like it. So, so uh, the lettuce is kind of filler for you. You yeah. you just want more meat. Just more meat. More meat. Meat, cheese, <laughs> hot sauce. Maybe guacamole. Tortilla. That's it. Tortilla. Guacamole, I have I'm a convert recently. But I like I just like a simple taco. Okay, Okay. that's that's fair. So were you handed the blueberry pie line and said and and told you will write this, or did you say, Hey, they should talk about this? That was all the guys. The guys like came up I remember they came up to me excited, like, we got the we found the perfect place to mention the blueberry pie stuff. So they, that's all them. Like it was, it was awesome that that's the big, cause we needed something for them to come out of that scene, like laughing about and, and joking about. So the fact that the blueberry pie fits so perfectly there is hundred percent the big three. And it's actually the, oh, yeah. the, the flip Fantastic. side then it's the bookend to Daniel talking about the spaghetti in mm-hmm. different, but same because yeah. you know, mm-hmm. where that was the icebreaker there, then here it's the Daniel smearing the blueberry pie all over Johnny. 
it's just again that, it, it, oh, it, goes, it goes back to what we were talking about like it's just so fun to hear them talk about the, what they remember from different stuff like, like or what they remember from those days like um like hayden and i were, were working on we were getting the episode six ready for shooting with um, which uh, sorry which is uh what is it um it's the one with all the guy all the old cobras coming back yeah, 206, yeah. Take a right. right. Yeah, take a right. And I remember us talking about finding a place to, to have that in the bar with, with like, getting a little bit of, like, oh, did he have a crush on on uh, on Ali? Like, getting some of that stuff is just always the most fun to hear. And we know the fans love that stuff, like, recontextualizing the past. So the, having the blueberry pie is just so perfect. Like, it's a nod to the super fans who know that it's a cut scene. It's, like, it works even if you don't know the reference. Like, it just fits perfectly right there so someone said i was amy said i was gifted it i was gifted it. it's it's, it's that whole episode is just amazing yeah if, if you didn't know amy is uh she was the one that was down yes. there with us yes, yes. I, I believe you guys ran into each other at dragon con like the next day yeah yeah, yeah. We're, um i'm a big uh my brother my brother and me fan and the adventure zone fan and like uh when i was out there on set um uh I felt I, I, the first year I came out with my family and my, my wife and my daughter stayed with me and the three of us lived in Atlanta for three months. And this went for, for season three. That was not the case. Um, so I came out alone and I was very much like, I'm just going to be working. I'm not going to be doing anything fun. But the one thing I do want to do is go see my brother and my brother and me live. So <laughs> my wife was always like, go, go, go do it. You, you, you should go see it. So that was like the one thing I got to do, and it was so fun running into Amy. I was like, "Ah, Adventure Zone! It's great!" <laughs> like Joe said, like Joe said, like I'm a big D and D nerd fan. Like Joe and I are, Joe, Luan, and I are big nerds, and we talk nerd shit. So uh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Sholo like dabbles in D and D as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have yet to find a time to do some of that stuff. They're also being in a Magic <laughs> Gathering, which is super cool, and. Uh, uh, not to out, uh, uh, um, uh, not to out Hawk, but uh, Jacob. Not to out, not out Jacob, but he's a big Pokemon fan, and the two of us bonded over talking Pokemon stuff <laughs> on set. So much nothing so, wrong with that. So much so we had to be asked to leave set because we were so loud talking about Pokemon. Um, I, I, um, I missed out on that. I mean, I, I know a few of the characters, but it wasn't my jam. Sure, sure. But I knew enough. Uh, my wife, who I've been with for 18 years now, the line that I used to get her was, I told her that I choose you. Yeah. She goes, I'm not picking you. You can't just choose me. <laughs> <laughs> here here we are, 18 years later. So it worked. Um, the the D&D thing, the magic, the gathering, that's my husband. That's, um, you know, his, his family and friend group um, got me thinking you guys need to set up a big tabletop back there and get some Warhammer games going. Man, um, I've never, never dabbled in Warhammer. Uh, D&D is super fun, and I, I need to learn magic. I've never really played it. I collected the cards and bought the magazine to see how much each card was worth, but I never actually learned how to play the game. We had a hobby shop, so we sold oh, the cool. cards. So I had the, all the values and things like that of like oh, monetary. Awesome. And my husband's like, yeah, but I can kill so many people with this cart. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but it's worth $35. We're putting it on for sale. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. That's, yeah, <laughs> that was me. Awesome. Uh, Brianna, do you have any more questions before we get ready to wrap up A thousand. 
<laughs> I know, I know it, I know it. And you know, you were kind of like joking about like uh, apologizing for fangirling out. Can you imagine if you weren't a fangirl and how dry this interview would be? Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love the fangirl stuff. Yeah. Like, I love the fanning stuff. Like, this is an awesome opportunity to be on here to talk over Kai, get into some questions, and to and be on the other end of it. So much for oh. gracing us with your presence and your glorious beard and uh, <laughs> all of it please it was my pleasure everything all of this all of this i, I know earlier on I, I believe it was um a friend of the show here pialani sensei pialani she was saying how she just adored your energy oh, or, nice. or something i'm paraphrasing a lot of people yeah, saying so. that they can they can feel your passion for what you do. <laughs> yeah so, uh, sorry about that guys sorry i hope it didn't uh, it wasn't too much, but yeah, no, I don't yeah, know. Michael, you need to tone it down next time, okay? <laughs> All right, uh, you would not be the first person to say that to me. Uh, you know what, though? I I think if you if you've got like, there's not a single person now that Su- Susan's here now. By the way, um, oh, hi, Susan. There's not a single person in that chat who would not give their eye teeth to be sitting where you are. So mm-hmm. if you got I, I, it, then you deserve it, and you <laughs> should absolutely revel in it. That is Absolutely. very nice of you to say. It's, it's honestly like I came into this show a humongous fan. I'm a humongous fan being in the show. Like, the guys are not the first people to say that. I'm not the first person to say this, especially on your show, but like, the fans are the ones who make this show. And and we we are fans and we are coming at this from a fan place. So, you know, we just, we love it. And, and the one thing I've learned being in, in this kind of weird industry is that whoever cares the most wins. So, you know, if you have the passion, if you love it, you know. That usually wins the end. Um, well, obviously, you know, we would love to have you back after, um, you know, season three so we could talk about those episodes that, that you wrote as love well. Um, what are some other things that you can uh, kind of promote uh, that, that you have worked on or working on that maybe listeners and viewers can kind of check out? I know you got Diary of a Future President on Disney+. Plus. Yes, I, I wrote, um, I did, I was in season one of that show, which was awesome. And if you, you know, if you have kids, it's a great show. It's, it's Even if you don't have kids, it's a really great show and it's super special to be a part of. Um, I, I can't, unfortunately, I cannot talk about the stuff that I'm working on right now. Hopefully it will be announced soon because it's rad and it'll be awesome, but I can't talk about it right now. But the one thing I can talk about is I've actually started my own podcast, which has been wild. Yes, yes. Um, it's. I just saw that the other day. Amy said that she was going to download them all oh, yeah. and get a chance to it's listen to them It's super insane, and it's just so – it basically is a podcast I do with two of my friends who are actors and improvisers. It's called In Theaters Never, and it's uh, – basically, we dissect a movie one minute at a time. You know, like there's the Star Wars minute and the, like, Indiana Jones minute, and we're, we're doing the same thing except the movie doesn't exist. So we are making up a movie – uh, one minute at a time and talking about all the, and we're coming at it as fans. So we're talking about like behind the scenes stories and, and all the stuff that is building up this entire world that we are trying to remember. Like um, in, in one episode, we realized someone uh, we're talking about like, Oh, there's something someone left behind. And eventually we get to the point that there are seven rakes hidden throughout the movie that we have to try to <laughs> locate as we go minute by minute. So there's just like, it's an absolutely insane show, but it's super fun and it's goofy and they're only like 30 minutes long. So you can, you know, 420 blaze through those episodes, no problem. But that's been super fun to work yeah, yeah. on. So. That sounds phenomenal. And I have to go find that. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's super cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, they, thanks for bringing that up because I did remember pre-interview, but then I forgot. You know, since we started uh, talking about Cobra Kai stuff, um, so if you do welcome the followers, where can uh, listeners um, follow you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at 
Beardy McWhisker. Um, and I am on Instagram as I am Michael Jonathan. Uh, so you, you can also find me at Beardy McWhisker on Instagram too, but it's my private account, but I have a link to my public account in it. So if you guys want to follow the food I'm eating and stuff like that, so feel free to any Cobra Kai stuff I'll be posting. And the other thing I'll promote, watch Cobra Kai again. Just keep watching it. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. And if you guys want future seasons, that's the way to get them is to keep watching. So. Yes. Over and over and over again. Yes. Um, Brianna, what about you? I am still Brianna25. Any and everywhere you may want to look for anything that I may or may not do. <laughs> Same thing for us. We talked about the audio podcast a lot. All the interviews are on the audio podcast. I'm slowly, surely, but surely uh, moving them onto the YouTube. So um, let's see. What was the last one I put up? Well, I guess Chosen because we got excited about a teaser who who we think is Chosen. Uh, so Yuji <laughs> Okamoto's interview is up on YouTube, but obviously on our um, uh, audio podcast as well. So yeah, check out check out the site, you guys. Uh, we have like 50 interviews, literally, um, on the website CobraKaiCompanion.com. Uh, I need to I need to update that one for sure. But uh, I want to um, you know uh, thank Michael again for coming on as guest and. Thank you for everyone that's tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This was a blast. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.